Seven years ago, right around this time of year, actually, uh, my father passed away after a battle with cancer. I remember the date pretty clearly, uh, in part because uh, it, it stuck with me because he died right before midnight, uh, but there was no one there to officially declare him deceased until after midnight, and so he really passed on March 5th, but legally he died on March 6th. And I remember that largely because that meant that, legally speaking, he died on the same day as Nancy Reagan. So that made it easier to remember. But one of the things that struck you that day, as you go down and you're watching on TV, uh, the entire nation is talking about Nancy Reagan. Uh, The nation is formally in mourning. But it's an odd feeling because you realize it has nothing to do with me. Uh, The loss of my father was clearly a bigger deal to me than the loss of Nancy Reagan, but uh, it didn't receive nearly the same amount of fanfare. Not every death is noticed equally because they don't all have the same impact. And death itself is not always eventful. It doesn't come with fanfare always. you may have heard this one. You know, someone once told me that uh, they wanted to die peacefully in their sleep like their grandfather, not panicking and screaming like everyone else in the car. That's terrible. I'm sorry. Um, but most deaths are not like that, is my point. I've been present at a few deaths, more than I'd like at this point, but uh, most are not like that. Death is almost agonizingly quiet much of the time, and it's the silence that's most troubling. It's part of what makes death so offensive. It's the silence where there shouldn't be one. And a part of you feels like there ought to be some kind of noise, a commotion, as if, you know, shouldn't the whole world around me feel the turmoil that I'm feeling? And that's why we end up going home and we put announcements on Facebook or obits in the paper and that kind of thing. We try to create some sort of a fanfare. We want it to be noticed that somebody has died. We're gathered tonight to remember the most consequential death that ever happened, the greatest travesty of justice imaginable, the saddest event since the fall itself. The Son of God was put to death alongside common criminals and with the approval of the civil and religious authorities. There should be a public outcry heard all over the land. And you start to think about it. You think, well, this would have been big news in Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus had a lot of supporters. Jesus also had a lot of enemies. Uh, He was a celebrity. So this was significant local news, no matter how you slice it. And it would have been a polarizing event because people would have had many opinions about it. Many people would be grieving. Some would be glad. Uh, But I'm also willing to bet that many people in Jerusalem paid little to no attention. I mean, that's just a fact. Uh, On a surface level, this stuff happened in a lot of Roman cities. Uh, This is just another bloody execution Friday in Roman Judea. You know, why pay attention? Now, we know that Jesus' death was a big deal. Uh, His followers knew this was a big deal. His friends knew this was a big deal. His mother surely knew this was a big deal. Even Pilate knew that this was a big deal, especially once his wife started talking to him about it. Most things become a bigger deal once our wives get involved. 
if baby ain't happy, nobody's happy. But would the rest of the city of Jerusalem felt that way about it? People who went to work that day overheard the news, maybe. Maybe shook their heads, finished up with the last customers, swept up, closed the shop, and went home. Mothers at home keeping house, making dinner, kids running around and playing. How many citizens of Jerusalem lived through this greatest tragedy and did so in total ignorance? How does that work? How can the Son of God be put to death and yet some people would barely notice? That doesn't seem quite right, does it? Seems like there ought to be some noise. And, well, maybe that's why God didn't let people ignore it. Because you start to reflect on some of the other things that happened that day. Stuff that maybe on the surface at first, to the casual observer, would seem unrelated, but that surely everybody had to notice. Because I'm convinced that God did not want this particular death to go unnoticed. And so when Jesus dies, he makes some noise. There's some fanfare, if you will. The death is not going to go unnoticed. Now, every gospel has some record of the strange things that happened on that day, but I wanted to look specifically at what happened when Jesus actually died, when God in the flesh saw his mortal flesh expire. Did it make a difference? Or was it lost in the noise of everyday life? And to answer that question, Matthew is my personal favorite record. Because largely because he includes certain details and one particularly bizarre detail that only he records. And those details are listed starting in verse 51. You'll be glad to know I'm not going to cover all of what Andy just read. But three things I want you to notice that happened when Jesus died, and three things that would be really hard to ignore and that would make it really hard to mistake as a coincidence. Three things that could not happen unless this death was different than other deaths. And the first that he records in verse 51 is that the curtain tore. It says, And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, this is a reference to the curtain that separated the rest of the temple from the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was and where God was understood to dwell. And the curtain was essentially there in, in large part as a defense mechanism. Uh, not to protect God or any of the things inside, obviously, but the priests who were there every day because it is dangerous to look on the Holy of Holies. Only one priest could go in there, and only once a year, and he was chosen by lots. Jesus' uncle Zechariah did it, you may remember. That's where he learned that John the Baptist would be born. But this was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Most priests would never see the inside. And suddenly, the curtain is ripped straight down the middle. And every priest standing there can see, here in the middle of the afternoon, what they were never allowed to see before. Now... I'm not a fabric guru like my wife. I don't know what this thing was made of or how well it was constructed. I assume pretty well it lasted a long time. But this seems like an unusual thing for a curtain to do. At the very least, the timing is very suspicious, isn't it? 
And, and there's no way anyone could have orchestrated such a thing. It happens midday, essentially. Matthew says it was torn also from top to bottom. So no one ran up in the middle of the afternoon in front of everyone and grabbed the bottom and gave it a yank, right? It happens from top to bottom and in front of everybody. And Matthew's point in saying that is that God did this. That's the first of the three signs. After that came an earthquake, in case you were dismissive of the first thing, just a coincidence. It says the earth shook and the rocks were split. That's really specific behavior for an earthquake. I looked it up. Israel does get serious earthquakes, but the average is like once a century. They'll get hit with one. So another bizarre coincidence. Not every earthquake also breaks the rocks that are sitting on the ground either. That's a weird detail. It's not how earthquakes work typically. It's a, in a natural earthquake, the earth shakes back and forth, and this quake shatters the rocks that are sitting here on the surface. That makes this an impossible event to understand naturally. Only God could do something that specific. It's almost like God in his fury, you almost get the impression he's just breaking everything in sight. And this would be hard not to notice as a citizen of Jerusalem. So the death is definitely getting some publicity. But my favorite is the third sign. The tombs also were opened... And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs, after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. That's the weirdest thing in this passage. I know that all miracles have significance. God doesn't do things arbitrarily. And I realize that the curtain thing symbolized that the division between God and man was over. It meant that Jesus had gone past the curtain and thus broke the divider. The earthquake makes sense. It's why we call big events earth-shattering, right? It, it makes sense that God would break things and not just the curtain. He has every right to be angry. But he unleashes it on the rocks, not the guards that are standing there. But besides that, it is appropriate and not surprising that the creation itself should groan under the weight of what just happened. The very rocks that Jesus said would have cried out on Palm Sunday... They essentially do that very thing when Jesus dies. So by three o'clock, barely anyone was there to cry out on Calvary. And in that terrible silence, the rocks cry out in a sense. But what about the whole walking dead thing? I don't know how Matthew just drops that bombshell in the middle of all this without any added explanation. He's the only one that mentions it but it is kind of my favorite thing because he does casually just mention that Jerusalem went full-on walking dead. It's a freaky thing. Tombs were open, and not just some of them, he says, many bodies of the saints just got on up and went for a stroll in downtown Jerusalem. How in the world does this event get only two verses? And Matthew doesn't say that this happened as just like a rumor he heard or something. It didn't happen in the dark. He says he has witnesses. They appeared to many. This is neither normal nor particularly comforting, at least on the surface, is it? Because how would you feel if Aunt Martha just showed up one afternoon while you were cooking dinner? 
I mean, sure, you may miss Aunt Martha, but there's a question of decorum, isn't there? It is indecent for Aunt Martha to show up when she died last week. And the impression you get is that this was a temporary thing. Matthew doesn't say that they stay alive, but that they made an appearance, essentially. It's like a cameo. It's a zombie flash mob, just like the thriller video. <laughs> Except I'm assuming that they didn't look like zombies. It sounds more like these were the recently deceased, people who were known in this city. They're not the ancient dead. It's like a foretaste of the resurrection. It's just a hint as if Hades itself got so excited it almost jumped the gun and let everyone out. We don't know who these saints were. Matthew doesn't say. In fact, Matthew leaves this almost entirely a mystery. But I think what it tells us, even though they didn't get up until it says when he actually resurrected, the fact that the tombs opened in preparation, I think what it tells us is that terrific power got unleashed when Jesus died. And the creation could not keep silent about it. It writhed and cracked under the pressure. But there's also a taste of the hope that was coming. These signs happened because the creation itself was proclaiming what Jesus had done. The temple knew that the true temple had come and had now died and it responded accordingly. The earth knew that its creator had died and it responded accordingly and even death itself temporarily loses its focus. The grave puts a few guys on early release. It's kind of like Aslan says in Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe that death itself is starting to work backwards. And the, what it says to me is that the only thing keeping the saints in their graves right now is that God hasn't given the sign yet. The reason the saints got up is because that's what saints will do because of what Jesus did on Calvary. The tombs are open. And what the creation is proclaiming is received. It's effective. Verse 54, when the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. Beloved, even without someone there to explain it, when all was said and done, even these Roman soldiers understood what had happened. They probably only experienced the earthquake, but that was enough for them to know, just as the priests in the temple would have to know, just like everyone who saw Aunt Martha show up would have to know. God was not satisfied for Jesus to go quietly, so he makes some noise. Not just so people will notice then, but so that 2,000 years later, you and I would know that something was accomplished on that Friday, even before Jesus got up on Sunday. Jesus wasn't fooling when he said, it is finished. Something was accomplished, and God wanted everyone to know about it, so that we, like the centurion, could proclaim that surely this was the Son of God. And in the sure hope that one day we too will get up and come out of our graves and appear to many. That's the hope of Good Friday. Let's pray. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for sending your son, Lord. We thank you that he went to the cross for us that he endured all of this 
the utmost in humiliation and savagery and did it willingly for us. We thank you for your word and we thank you for these quirky little details, Lord, because they are not just quirky little details, Lord. There is a hint of what is to come. The glorious hope that we have because of what Christ accomplished on Calvary. Lord, plant that seed of that hope in us. Lord, knowing that this death was not insignificant, it was not just like the others, that something changed. The earth cried out. The temple cries out. Lord, may we cry out, knowing that truly this was the Son of God, ready to proclaim him to our neighbors. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever.